dictates the way you live. So I'm on a crusade to crucify the prosperity gospel. I hate the prosperity gospel. The Bible's not about you. So what is the foundation of your faith? I mean, why do you believe what you believe? The word of the living God. Faith built on emotion is faith built on sand. Jesus said you build on a rock or you don't build. Welcome to Skeptics Podcast number three. Part 2 of Mormonism versus Christianity. So if you missed last week, we talked about the history of the Mormon Church, uh, how it started with Joseph Smith, the visions that he claimed to have seen, and we also went into some of the historical writings and teachings that they used to teach, which they denounce today. And a lot of the stuff we talked about, Mormons don't even know that that's was part of their history. And we also talked about the history of our origins, the the creation of the earth, and things like that, according to the Mormon Church. So if you haven't listened to that episode, go back and listen to that one before you listen to this one, because you might, you might be a little bit lost. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about the evidences for the Mormon Church. Um, also, basically, evidences against it, because, because there is no evidence for the Mormon Church. We've actually discovered evidence on the contrary, you know, things like archaeological evidence and um, expert uh, accounts of the things that have been found. So, yeah, let's go ahead and get started. Back in 1965, the LDS Church was presented with an actual manuscript that Smith used to translate, or what he claimed to use to translate the book, The Pearl of Great Price, um, the Book of Abraham. And as if you remember from last week, he claimed to have translated this from Reformed Egyptian. So they, they, they took this manuscript and they uh, it was you know it was presented at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. It's supposed to be this great find. Like look at this, you know we found this you know manuscript of the Book of Mormon. And so the LDS Church, what they did is they actually put to work their greatest scholar in Egyptology at the time. His name was. Well, a man by the name of Professor D.J. Nelson. And he took this manuscript to translate it to see if it corroborated with what Smith said it said. And um, come to find out, um, it didn't. It did not match anything at all to what Smith actually said. Not not even one word matched anything. Do you remember what it, what it was, Jayla, what it actually was? Wasn't it a... Uh writings for like a funeral or something like that something yeah it was essentially like uh, it was funeral like um like like people you know just funeral writing so you would say like a, like a eulogy kind of thing mm -hmm. um is what it was i was trying to uh, think of the word so he uh professor dj nelson he contacted the mormon church saying hey like this this isn't right um smith lied and he he pushed for the LDS Church to publish this finding. He's like, you guys need to come forward with this. You guys need to be be honest. But but the LDS Church, they willfully did not publish this finding. They they even suppressed it. To um, and Nelson, he was actually a uh, I believe he was an elder or a priest at the church at the time, or at least part of some church. And this basically just opened his eyes. Like, wow, these guys are suppressing the truth. So what Nelson did is he actually resigned from the LDS Church. This is a, when he, his eyes are opening and realized this whole thing was just a scam. The church, because um, they just found evidence that Smith had lied, and this was direct contradiction to their faith. You know, he, he lied about everything as far as where the Book of Abraham came from. So he, he wrote a letter to the LDS Church resigning because they they would not come forward with this with this truth. And you can actually Google, Google the letter that D.J. Nelson wrote, and I actually have it up right here. So I'm going to read... A portion of it to you. Attention, First Presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This letter is to inform you that it is our considered desire that my own name and those of my wife and daughter be removed from the membership rolls of the Latter-day Saints Church. We, D.J. Nelson, Catherine G. Nelson, and Kim Sherry Nelson, do freely and with full understanding of the implications of this step, require that our names be removed from all member records of the LDS Church. I, D.J. Nelson, do hereby renounce and relinquish the priesthood which I now hold. Following my translation, the first to be published, of the bulk of the hieratic and hieroglyphic Egyptian text upon the Metropolitan Joseph Smith papyri fragments, three of the most eminent Egyptologists now living, P 
published corroborating translations. These amply prove the fraudulent nature of the Book of Abraham, in which lies the unjust assertion that Negroes are unworthy of participation in the highest privileges of the LDS Church. We do not wish to be associated with a religious organization which teaches lies and adheres to the policies so blatantly opposed to the civil and religious rights of some citizens of the United States. By affixing our signatures to this document, we exercise our constitutional rights of religious freedom and separate ourselves from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Boom. That and, was just well, like a, almost like a slap in the face to them, in, in a sense, you know, um, just resigning like that. And I, I love how he wrote out exactly why. Exactly. And it wasn't just a, nope, I'm leaving. He even went into detail, like, because I, I had forgot about this, so because I'd never actually read all of the Book of Abraham, but it's in the Book of Abraham where it's explicitly said that um, black people cannot hold the priesthood because they're, you know, the seed of Cain. We, if you remember, we touched on that last week. And so it was the Book of Abraham that they were using as um, their canon to say, like, you cannot be, if you're black, a priest. So this, to um, DJ Nelson, was like, you guys are using this as basically just... Um, a way to be racist. A way to be, it's just racist. So when he uh, found out that Smith had lied about what these fragments are, what the Book of Abraham even said... I mean, it wasn't even the Book of Abraham. It was, just, it was just a eulogy. But he said it said something entirely. He said it was from God, that it said these people can't be priests. And, like, I just, well. So, anyways, that is the first major revelation of, um, that was news to me. Like, well, like, like I knew Smith made it up, but um, I didn't even know that they actually found actual manuscripts of the Book of Mormon that he claimed to have used so that that was that was news to me. That was, yeah. It kind of makes you wonder if um, that is something that bothered him about the Mormon religion uh, before he even resigned, because it seemed very it is a very personal subject, anyways, and it's obviously horrible. Um, I'm glad that they changed that now, but yeah, it, I believe it was like in 1976 when they reversed. Oh, new revelation! <laughs> All that, of a sudden, I'm starting to see a trend, like when the when everything starts changing or if the government's against them, that's when suddenly they get a prophet in that changes the rules. So it's like God's mind changes with American culture. Yeah. And that's kind of like the same thing they do with scripture. Cause obviously they believe scripture is twisted and corrupt. So as far as it, they say, as far as it's translated correctly, which that basically just means if it contradicts anything in the book of Mormon, it's false. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like a system they have worked out. And we touched last week that Smith at the time, he was known for being a man of tall tales, uh, for being like a con artist, for being a man who was a treasure hunter. and Glass looker. Glass looker. Um, so he was already convicted at the time of glass looking, which leads us into the next evidence against the Mormon church which uh, there was a man by the name of Dr. Michael Quinn, and he actually had a, a book that he put out called Early Mormonism and the Magic Worldview. And in this book, he actually has the actual photos of the seer stones that were owned by Smith in this book. And he was excommunicated from the LDS Church because of his research. And he, um, you know, the Elias Church told him to not publish this or whatever, but he did it anyways. And he was excommunicated from the church for his findings. And another evidence that has been found, and this was one of the bigger ones, is there was another man by the name of Wesley Walters. And I think this was back in the 70s, um, where he actually found the actual court records from Chenango County, New York that with Smith's convictions on them. So there was a, another man by the name of uh, Dr. Hugh Nibley. I believe he was a apologist for the Mormon church at the time. And when this came to the surface, he, uh, this was his quote. This is what he said. He said, if these records are correct, it is the most damning evidence in existence against Joseph Smith. And, this this document was, of course, suppressed 
by the LDS Church. But if you actually go to Google, and you Google Chenango County, C-H-E-N-A-G-O, Chenango County, New York, um, with you know a tag of smoke, Joseph, Joseph Smith or whatever, you will actually come across that actual conviction document that proves that Smith was indeed convicted for glass looking. So, yeah, I mean, it's just a simple Google search away. And this was, you know, one of the bigger revelations that was found. So, yeah. Yeah, and also we, we'd like to say we encourage you guys to go look into these things for yourself. Don't just take our word for it. Go look into these things yourself. It's very important that you seek for truth for yourself, not just take what someone else says and counter this truth. And do that with every aspect of from someone who's teaching you or speaking into your life as well. Uh, moving forward, there's a man by Walter Martin, someone that me and Peter love, and he was known as the cult guy because he wrote Kingdom of the Cults and started um, ministry um, against the cults and uh, reaching out to them and sharing the gospel with them and brought many people to Christ. And he was also known as the Bible Answer Man. And... Uh, yeah, Walter Martin was a very, very smart man. He's uh, passed away in around the 80s, so he's been gone for a while now. But he made, uh, this is where it gets really interesting, and this is the the thing that was a, a big revelation to me, is he claimed that Smith didn't even write the Book of Mormon himself. See, I'd always known that, you know, Smith and that, you know, the Book of Mormon was a cult, but I, and I knew that Smith was a liar, obviously, but I had no idea that the Book of Mormon itself was stolen from another writer. I just thought, you know, Smith made the whole thing up. And uh, so what what Walter claimed is he he made the claim that Smith had stolen a large majority of his writings for the Book of Mormon from another man by the name of Solomon Spalding. And that that's who he claimed uh, the Book of Mormon w was taken from was from it was like a novel that this guy had written or something like that. And even back in back in the, those days when the Book of Mormon first came out, there were people who were like this. This story sounds oddly familiar. So so Martin claimed that the writings were stolen from this man Solomon Spalding. So it was around the seventies um, uh, when manuscripts were discovered of the Book of Mormon, and there was a man by the name of Doctor Howard. Davis, and it was around the latter part of 1974, and he heard of Martin's claims, so he, he set out to determine if his assertions were correct. So he was joined by uh, another man, by two other men, um, Wayne Cowdery and another man by the name of Don Scales, and they actually wrote a book called Who Wrote the Book of Mormon? You can you can Google this book. You can Amazon it. You could you could find this copy. So this um so you can read all this stuff yourself. But um we'll just briefly go over this. So anyways, he was joined by these two men, and what they did is they they went to Bancroft Library in Berkeley, which at the time had a vast collection of early Mormon documents. And uh, Wayne Cowdery, he was uh, the Matt, one of the men who joined the team. Uh, he was a a very adamant. Mormon at the time. He, you know, had been, he had the burning in the bosom, he was baptized in the church. So, I wasn't exactly sure, you know, what his inspiration was for joining this team if it was to confirm his beliefs or just to if he was skeptical. But anyways, he uh he joined the team and it was uh around December of 1975 that Howard Davis, he was at Berkeley at the Bancroft Library and he was studying portions of Spalding's manuscripts. Are of the manuscript story that was written in 1809, and this is this is the story that Walter claimed was ripped off. So uh, it was his, uh, and this was actually Spalding's, you know, first attempt at you know writing history of the inhabitants of this country. So uh, he was, I'm not sure if it was just you know if he was just having fun, if it was a novel, but I believe it's just like a, a fictional writing of the history of the U.S. I don't know, but anyways, he. Uh, Davis obtained a copy of Spalding's writings of these of these uh, copies that they had, and he and along with Don Scales, the other man, they they began examining the the story of Spalding in light of the Book of Mormon. They, they started comparing the two, and you know the the LDS Church denied that 
there was any comparison between the two writings or the two stories. And they, uh, they compared these two writings uh, using the scientific literary comparative method and to, de you know, to determine if it was written by a single author, both, both, both accounts. And they counted up more than 100 matching parallels between both stories. And like I said, the LDS Church denies that there's even denies that there's even one. So what they did was, you know, they they sent out a copy to Wayne Cowdery. You know, he's the the devout Mormon guy, and like, hey, they they sent this to him. Like, hey, look over this. What do you think? This is what we found, and he he found the exact same thing. You know, he was looking at this. He's like, my goodness, like Smith Smith totally stole this story. So you know, he he found these things were correct, and he then also was excommunicated from the LDS church per his request. So yeah, it was, uh, you can just see, it's just a line of, uh, you can see that the pattern here, you know, people find evidence against the LDS church, they get confronted and then they get excommunicated. So it's like, they really do not want any, um, contradiction or any kind of push against, against them. They, they don't, they don't like the criticism and, yeah, so you know they just began to you know obtain sample more samples of Spalding's writings, and uh, they they studied Spalding's handwriting handwriting ferociously. You know they studied every tick, every space between the letters, to you know see if these were indeed you know written by the same author. Like obviously they they got that the parallels were the same, so the story was the same, but was it actually written by the same person? Like was he actually the, you know the actual pen writer? So. Of, of this manuscript that was found in the, um, you know, the Ellis Church. So it was in February of 1975 that Davis, he, he came across a photocopy of a manuscript sheet of the Book of Mormon that was housed at the LDS Church in the History Department. And, you know, he uh, he recognized the, the handwriting on this manuscript, which was supposed to be a manuscript of the Book of Mormon. He recognized the handwriting as Spalding's, you know, because they had studied his handwriting so much and uh, in in the this manuscript was attributed to an unknown scribe because the LDS church they didn't know who wrote it but it's like oh this is a manuscript of our church but they weren't exactly sure who the author was so they just put unknown scribe so what he did is he what Davis did is he wrote the LDS church historians department and he asked them for you know, all the Xerox copies or four Xerox copies of the original Book of Mormon that they had on hand. So, so they actually sent it to him, you know, you know, this is in the seventies, 75. So obviously I don't think he can get away with this today, but you know, they got all the copies that they had of the manuscripts of the Mormon or of the, of the Book of Mormon. And as they were studying it, a portion of around 12 pages was written by an unidentified scribe. You know, so they, they check these 12 pages and they check the words in the manuscript copies that were sent to them. And they, they checked the, the, they mainly looked at the misspelled words and the misspelled words in Spalding's manuscripts were the exact same misspelled words in the Book of Mormon manuscript. They, they were identical. He misspelled the exact same words in the exact same way. So this was, you know, one, you know, very big hint that these were both written by the same person. So obviously, you know, these guys aren't legitimate, you know, quote unquote, handwriting experts with, you know, credentials or whatever. So um, they decided to, to hire some people to like see if they agreed with their findings. So they came across a man by the name of Henry Silver. And this man, he had over 50 years experience in dealing with handwriting, recognizing handwriting, things like that. He was actually recommended by the Library of Congress. He even, and this is, this is actually where it gets funny too is he was even selected by the LDS Church to go over Howard Hughes' will. So for those of you guys who don't know who Howard Hughes is, he was this, you know, billionaire, aviator, movie maker back in, you know, um, the early part of the, the, the century. So he, uh, in his will, he had, he left one-sixteenth of his estate, so around $800 million, he left to the LDS Church. And the LDS Church hired this very same man, Henry Silver, to go over Hughes's will, so it's, and then of course you know you know this is where this is leading. Uh, Henry Silver finds that these were indeed both written by the same man. This manuscript's a fraud. Smith is a fraud, but it kind of puts the LDS Church between this rock and a hard place where 
They're like, okay, we want to accept your credentials and your expertise when it comes to giving us $800 million, but we don't want to accept your expertise when it comes to critiquing our own church itself in our history. So, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of funny. Anyways, he uh, you know, he came and he examined these documents and he, this was he was quoted as saying with absolute conviction, I have no doubt about it that Solomon Spalding wrote this portion which parallels the Book of Mormon. And yeah, so he had said beyond a shadow of a doubt, these were both written by the same person. So they wanted to get at least a couple more handwriting experts. They didn't want just one. So they contacted they contacted another na- another man by the name of William K. You know, this man had over 41 years experience. And then they got another man by the name of Howard C. Dollar. So they they wanted three experts opinion. And of course they did not tell these other two men of of uh Silver's findings, you know, they wanted them to be, go into it completely um, without any, you know, external influence or bias or whatever. They wanted to them to have their own, you know, opinion. And all men, all three men, were in agreement that Spalding wrote both of the works, the the, the Book of Mormon manuscript and, of course, the Spalding manuscript that he had. So, and all these three men, you know, they never met and they never were told anything ahead of time. And so, yeah, like there you have it. There is big uh, evidence right there that not only did Joseph Smith flat out lie and make up this whole Book of Mormon story, but a large portion of the story was inspired, if not directly ripped off, quote by quote, from Spalding's work. So I don't even know how this came about. Like Smith just read his story one day, and it's like, hey, like this is this would be a good religion. Maybe I'll maybe I'll form, maybe I'll make a religion out of this out of this fictional novel that I read. And it's just, wow. Like that, that, that's, that, that was the thing that was a major revelation to me is that, you know, not only did Smith lie, but he completely stole a majority of the story of the Book of Mormon from this man. Yeah. What's, what was really shocking to me about finding this out was I always just assumed Joseph Smith was possessed or, or like maybe, a demon appeared to him, you know, like an angel of light or something like that, and had him write all these things down. Something like that are, you know, that's always just been my opinion of how it started. And then hearing this, that he just blatantly ripped it off. It's amazing. It's it's fundamentally crushing to the Mormon belief system. It's and it's it's it makes it that much sadder. How many people are following this? Mm-hmm. And that this is this is not common knowledge at all among anyone. You know, like I, I haven't met anyone else besides uh, our pastor, who's actually an ex-Mormon, who even had the idea that Joseph Smith had copied it from someone else. And out of all all the Mormons I've talked to, out of all the people who study cults, no one's really knew this until we uh, listened to Walter Martin and researched this ourselves, we had no idea. And it was just astonishing to find this out. Yeah, so you can actually Google all of this yourself. You can, If you go up into YouTube and you search who really wrote the Book of Mormon, and if you add like a, a keyword, Walter Martin, to it, you'll come across that sermon where most of all of this, the stuff that we covered was revealed. And there is a book who wrote the Book of Mormon by these three men, these three handwriting experts. Um, you can find that book on Google or Amazon, and you can buy that book, and it'll go into even more detail of their findings. And if we didn't give you enough evidence by now to uh, that the Mormon religion isn't the real one, it's false, Joseph Smith made it up, um, going back to the Bible, so Deuteronomy lays it out. But you may wonder, how will we know whether or not a prophecy is from the Lord? If the prophet speaks in the Lord's name, but his prediction does not happen or come true, you will know that the Lord did not give that message, that the prophet has spoken without my authority and need not to be feared. Deuteronomy 18.21. And Deuteronomy also says that if they lead you after other gods. Now we know that their Jesus is a different Jesus. If you listen to the last podcast, they clearly have a different Jesus than the real one. So Joseph Smith claimed that Jesus would come back within 56 years. So 
essentially Joe Smith didn't know he was going to die. So he's basically trying to say he's going to come back before we all die, the people in his church and all that. And also he claimed that before he died, a temple would be built in Zion, Missouri. And that is, did not happen. So there you have it. Two false prophecies. Joseph Smith was not a prophet and therefore need not to be feared. I was listening to a cultish podcast on this very same topic, Mormonism. And they had a couple of ex-Mormons that they were interviewing on this podcast. And one of them, going back to um, what Jayla was talking about with leading you after other gods, um, you know, that's one of the one of the Ten Commandments, don't have any other gods before me. And even the Mormons will not, I mean, that, that, that's at least a portion of scripture that Mormons and Christians agree on. Like that's a portion that they agree was not translate was not translated incorrectly. So you know the Mormons believe in the Ten Commandments, and with that passage of "Don't have any other gods before me," or make any graven images, the one of the one of the men on this podcast who used to be a Mormon, he was talking about how growing up he always had a problem. He grew up in Prover, Utah. He always had a problem driving by the Mormon temple. And if you've never been to the Mormon temple, they have this, this statue on the top of Moroni, or the angel Moroni. And he, as a kid, was always saying, like, that always kind of bothered me because I knew that I learned in Sunday school we weren't supposed to have any other gods or make these graven images. But yet our own church, our temple, has a graven, Im- a graven image of someone that's not even God. It's someone else. It's Moroni. And it's like, why would God want who commands not to have a graven image be okay with a graven image of someone else on his house. <laughs> and he's like, that just didn't make sense to me. And so I, I thought that was really interesting to, when you just think about it from that perspective, that it is just, it's insane. And he also talked about um, other things that Mormons aren't supposed to talk about, but he was freely able to talk about it because he's not part of the Mormon church. But he was talking about the, uh, like the baptisms, I believe the baptism, baptisms of the dead. And he said like the first time he experienced it, it just freaked him out because he was taken into this room where people like were, I might be saying this wrong or remember this incorrectly, but like people were like wearing robes and there was this, this tub that had like these. Twelve golden oxen. Twelve gold, yeah, like twelve golden oxen like surrounding it. And he said it just, it just felt wrong. It was just, it was just weird. And. I'm sure there's so much more about the Mormon church that we don't know because they're not allowed to talk about it. Our people just haven't really come forward with it, but there's just so much, it just goes so deep than what they present at the surface. Yeah. And also, and this is something you can look into for for yourselves. Uh, I'm not going to get into too much detail about it, but uh, if you look on the um, the Mormon temples, they have Freemasonry symbols on it. And there's actually documents showing that Joseph Smith was a Freemason. And then actually, uh, before he died in the jail, he actually held up a Freemason symbol uh, from eyewitness accounts. Like I said, you can look into this for yourself. I just thought it was very interesting. I I haven't done too much research into him being a Mason, but uh, I've actually, one of my old bosses, he was a, Ex Temple Mormon, and he he was went on rants on how much they're, they're all just Freemasons, and, you know, and obviously he was very bitter at the church, so I wasn't going to take everything he said to heart. But he would talk about the rituals, their secret handshakes, and it, it was kind of cool because I was getting all this secret information that you know you can't really get unless you're a Temple Mormon. But yeah, he he just he went into pretty good detail of how they're all involved with Freemasonry. And uh, it's a very interesting study. I actually want to study that more. But it, it is super fascinating that their temples have all these Freemason uh, symbols all over them. I think it's just kind of you know, you know sad that you know Mormons they're, they're raised to not question these these truths quote unquote that they're taught. You know that's what this guy on this other podcast was talking about is how you know growing up. They were just taught from a very young age. You know, the Mormon church is the only church. They would recite it like clockwork. And, you know, they would take the bread and the water. They would go to sacrament. They would give 
hear testimonies and it was just so pounded into them that they just were taught not to question anything else they, they were they were taught to you know this is the truth you got to believe it and that's that and so that's why a lot of Mormons do think that they're Christians. Like we were talking about in the last podcast, they they equate themselves with us by saying, hey, we're Christians too. And we were kind of debunking that by saying, like, why would you claim to be a Christian if your own prophet said that all other religions are false? Like, so, but these guys, they, they it's not that they are that ignorant or they're not like ignorant on, on purpose. They just, they just don't know. And they, they honestly consider themselves Christians. And it's just, it, it kind of points back to the question of like, what, what, how do you, how do you approach this? You know, they think they're Christians, but how do you like, like, Hey, you're not. So like, you, you say that you might upset them. So I, I think, I think a good way to approach it is just from kind of a logical perspective is to kind of put yourself on the, on the same um, perspective of as them. So essentially just come back to them and be like, Hey, well, how would you feel if I told you that I was a Mormon? And but yeah, I don't believe Joseph Smith is a prophet or anything. Like, would that make you a Mormon? They'd be like, well, no. So you can kind of like try to use that logic to kind of show that like they're not one and the same. Because when you claim to be something, whether you claim to be a Christian or whether you claim to be Muslim or Buddhist, when, when you claim to be one of the or any religion or whatever, you are ascribing yourself to those religious beliefs, right? So if I said that I was Buddhist, but I don't believe in Buddha, obviously I'm not a Buddhist, right? So if you claim to be a Christian, yet you don't believe in all of the Bible, then you're obviously not a Christian, right? It's, and even you can see that statistically, I think like 75, or the statistic might even be lower, 75 to 80% of Americans, when they poll them, claim to be Christian, right? But we know, like biblically, biblically sound Christians who are actually like Christians, they know that that number is not true. Because if eighty percent of Americans were Christians, then America would be in a lot better shape. So it's obviously that statistic is flawed because lots of people claim to be Christians who aren't. So with that, it is with that logic to saying like, okay, you're claiming to be a Christian, yet you don't believe the Bible. Is only you only believe the Bible is correct as long as it agrees with your book. So, and and the word Christian actually it it actually comes from, I want to say it was from around Nero's time, when um, Nero Caesar he was, um, if you guys don't know anything about him he was one of the one of the guys who uh, very strongly persecuted the church back in the early early days. He would actually um, impale Christians on stakes, and uh, like light them on fire. He would put oil on them, light them on fire to illuminate his backyard. And he, uh, so I want to believe, I want to say it was around that time that that's when people were, were labeled as Christians because when, yeah, because it was in Antioch in Acts 11 when they were first labeled as Christians and they were labeled by, by a third party. It wasn't them who labeled themselves and it was, you know, meant as sort of a derogatory kind of thing almost. The, the, the English equivalent to um, that word is when you tack the I-A-N at the end of a word, that is showing that you are a follower of that person, right? So to say that you know, there are Christians, they're, they're followers of Christ. So me, for instance, my name's Peter. People who are followers of me, they, they'd call them like Pedians or something. I don't know. But it was just kind of, I think it was a, it was a term of, of essential, essentially mockery. Like, hey, you guys are Christians. It just kind of stuck. But, um, so when you're claiming to be a Christian, you're claiming to be a follower of Christ, but yet Mormons don't even f follow Christ. They don't even follow their own Christ. Because as we covered last week, they believe in a different Christ than we do. But even in the Christ that they believe in, he's not the number one authority in their church. It's Joseph Smith. One thing that's really interesting to me, and I can't remember if I touched in, in on this last week, but... I don't understand why they would want to be labeled as Christians. And some of them will argue for this point to be called Christian because they believe that we are the church of Satan, you know, and 
they won't often admit that, but it's in their creeds. You know, they believe that obviously the Bible's corrupted and all all the teachers are corrupt. Why would they as- want to even be labeled with Christians? You know, I I would not want to be labeled Mormon or Jehovah's Witness or anything like that. Because, you know, and not saying this harshly or meanly, I believe they are corrupted, and that is a doctrine of demons, um, as Paul would put it. But and, and I don't mean that in a belittling way. That's just the truth. And so I would not want to be labeled that. So why would they want to be labeled Christian? It's, it's always an interesting concept to me. And most of the time, they won't even admit that. And I, I've only had one Mormon encounter where they... They told me I was part of the Church of Satan. I, I actually gave them kudos. I'm like, you know, you're the first Mormon to ever say that to me. And it was a good discussion. You know, it was like a three-hour discussion, but it, it was really good. And uh, when when talking to Mormons, I, I think the most important thing, obviously, gentleness, love, compassion, and uh, stick to the Bible. Stick to truth. Like I said last week, don't belittle them in any way. Like... I would honestly, if I saw like someone who was claiming to be Christian, belittling a Mormon, just being rude to them, I would go up, rebuke that person, and then tell them to leave them alone, the Mormon alone, and then I would share the gospel with the Mormon lovingly and talk to them and apologize on behalf of Christians for how that Christian treated them. So like I said last week, please don't ever bring up coffee, their their special undergarments, polygamy, unless you know um, about their doctrine with becoming a god and polygamy. But don't bring it up on a just a normal basis because they don't practice that anymore. Uh, you got to love them and show them that you're generally concerned for them, and you're not there to win an argument. And you know, it's it's something that I, I do. I, it is personal for me because I, I I love the Mormon people. I uh, I just have a fascination with their theology and learning about them and sharing the gospel with them and trying to reach them for Christ. And actually, this uh, last Saturday, I, uh, I was with a few friends out uh, street evangelizing, and I got surrounded with um, a friend of mine by like six Mormons. And so it was a it was a pretty exhausting conversation. I didn't even know there was that many Mormons around this area. I didn't either, but there was I guess there's a bunch actually by where you used to live in Chalice. But um yeah, one thing to to learn about Mormons, when you bring scripture to them and they can't answer you, this is actually in the missionary training manual. They're to bear their uh, bear witness to their testimony. They're uh, basically to say, "I had the burning in the bosom. I felt this. I f- feel all of this." And we know about feelings. We we cover that in our first podcast. Don't trust your feelings. Facts don't care about your feelings. <laughs> and uh, anyways, so it, almost every Mormon I've talked to has done this. You know, I've prayed and I've felt that God told me that this is true. And they're really into private revelation, and so you you gotta you gotta really give them examples of like how, how that doesn't work, and how you gotta stick on the word of God for your standard of truth and not your feelings. You know, give them examples of like if you if you saw a brother stealing something, and he came to you and said, "Well, I prayed about it and think it's okay," you know, you take them to the word of God where God clearly condemns that. Yeah, and I think it's. I, I think you bring up a good point, but it's very hard for us to tell them that you know you need to have the Bible as your standard of truth when they when they're not one they're not believers, and two they never claim to hold the Bible as their standard of truth anyways. Um, they they claim the Book of Mormon as their standard of truth, so it's like I I know the you know the Bible is sharper than any two edged sword you know pierces to the division of bone and marrow. When it comes down to it, really, I believe the best solution is to simply just give them the gospel. Because you can recite all the scripture you want to them, but as we know from, also from scripture, you know, the Bible is foolishness. You know, it says it's foolishness to those who don't believe. 
well, you can recite it to them, but they just won't get it because they do not have the Holy Spirit to help them discern what what it is that it says or what it is that you're 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 quoting. And really, the only thing that I believe is really um, that's understandable even to the non-believer is the gospel because that that is what what captivates us. That's what captivates our soul. That's what opens our eyes. And that's how the Holy Spirit enters is by revelation of our sin, hell, repentance. And then when we put our faith in that, that's when, you know, the Holy Spirit enters and we can then, you know, you know, we're, we're baby Christians at the time, but then that, that's when the understanding of scripture really comes into play. So I think that it's, you know, as you know, I think it's in first or second Peter, it says to give, be prepared to give a defense of the hope that is in you. And, you know, we, we've been going through all these evidences against the Mormon church and these things are good to bring up to to prove to them that you know the their prophet is false and to give them these evidences to show that their whole religion is built on sand but really the 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 saving grace is the saving grace it's the gospel and as hard as you try to convince them that they're wrong i would think that, um a better approach would be to simply share the gospel because you know I, i've talked to mormons where you know you, you give them these evidences you, you give them these, these scriptures which you know of course they're not going to believe in anyways because they don't believe the bible as far as it contradicts the, the book of mormon because you know we were watching this this youtube video of um jeff durbin he was in front of the, the mormon temple and he was witnessing to this uh this lds guy in front of the temple and he was giving him scripture he was giving him all these things against the mormon church that were you know proven true but the Mormon guy just wasn't having it. Like he was, uh, like he gave him some scriptures, I believe, in Isaiah. And he's like, you know, go back and read these scriptures. Will you do that? And the Mormon guy's like, well, maybe. And like he just, he was so stubborn. He would not budge. And uh, I think, because that's what you're going to run into a lot is because it's just our human nature. People go against or attack what you believe. You you shut down. You shut them down. You don't want to believe it. Or you're even afraid to look into it. And so I think with that is if you run into that wall, it's like, okay, like don't stop trying to convince them and just share the gospel because that is where, uh, that, I mean, that's how people get saved. People, people, you know, you, yeah. Okay. So let's say you, you do convince them that his religion's false. He's like, okay, great. Like LDS church is false. And then he leaves the church. What have you gained? It's like, okay, he, he's left the Mormon church, but have you gained him to your side? Have you gained him to the truth? And, that's also, you know, a danger you have to look out for is because with that podcast I was listening to of the LDS guy on Cultish, um, he was saying that after he uh, after he left the LDS church, he just left the church entirely. He didn't join the Christian church. He just was against God because he's like, oh, well, if the LDS church is false, then all other churches must be false because he, he equated, you know, because he considered himself a Christian. Um, so he, he never even considered the Bible in and of itself stand alone as truth because he, he configured well if the Mormon book is tainted and the book of Mormon got some of its scriptures from the Bible then the Bible must be tainted so he just threw the you know he threw the baby out with the bathwater, and so he just had that mentality he just didn't know because he didn't know scriptural truth he just knew what the LDS church told him about the Bible so that's why he thought the Bible was false as well so it's very important to you know when you run into that brick wall of just simply just sharing the gospel. It's like, okay, like, God is real. You know, there is a heaven, there is a hell, and there is, God is just. And more importantly, just show them that how, you know, their gospel is the impossible gospel. And you just give them hope by showing them that, like, it's, you know, salvation is free. You know, you don't have to carry this this burden because, um even that guy in that podcast, he was talking about how he just, he just walked around with this burden all the time, like this invisible burden that pretty much every Mormon walks around with. They just never talk about it. And it just kind of like, he's like, hey, you know, like it's this burden that you're walking around with that you, you might even feel internally, but you refuse to acknowledge that you're working for this third level of heaven. And you don't even know if you're going to get there until you die. And he was talking about how, you know, this guy in this podcast was talking about how when they repent, you know, they have to repent to a certain person in the church. And they also, he talked about, this is something I didn't know either, but when they do sin again, not only is the sin that they committed 
put back on their head, but all previous sins that they've committed is brought back onto their account. So like when, when according to Mormon doctrine, when you sin, all your previous sins are put back onto your account until you repent or whatever. And I believe it's up to like the priest to decide like what you have to do in order to get your slate clean. And he was just like walking around with a sense of guilt because he's like, how do I, like what's the point of repenting? Like, okay, my, my slate's clean, but then, okay, I, I sin again. But even if it's just something minute, all the huge sins I committed in my past are back on my account because of this small sin. So it's just this constant pendulum of, you know, being guilty, not guilty, guilty, not guilty. And so it's um, just maybe even bringing that up and be like, hey, like, I, I know this is what you guys believe. I know that you might even be walking around with this, this noose around your neck or this, this yoke that you feel is burdensome. But, you know, just the gospel. You know, it's so freeing because, you know, the Bible says that, you know, Jesus is my yoke. He's easy. My burden is light. And there, there's no better way to witness than than the gospel. Yeah, that also reminds me of uh, Brigham Young taught on uh, blood atonement. And what that was, essentially, if someone had sinned so badly, basically Jesus' blood couldn't cover their sin and that they had to be put to death to cover their own sins. It's a very... It, that's that's demonic, first mm-hmm. of all. It, it's sad. And, you know, it's like... We get back to what we talked about last week about being an impossible gospel. It puts the weight of the world on your shoulders. I mean, imagine just... Imagine even for a moment, you know, we, we, you sin daily. Every, everyone sins. You know, he who says he was is without sin is a liar um, and the truth does not live in him and I know there's sanctification and you start to sin less but just imagine for a moment you're sitting there and you mess up whatever it may be you lie you steal whatever and you're just like everything I've ever done wrong in my life is now put on my head and I if I if I don't repent in time like let's say they're on the way driving and they get in a car wreck, and they're sitting there in those last moments, just, I didn't repent, I'm done for. It's, it's, it's a tragedy, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible to do that to someone, it's a horrible lie, and, uh, I, just so much sadness for them, so much, and that's why I, I'm passionate about, uh, Mormons, and, um, anyone's stuck in a cult, and, you know, any unbeliever in general, we should all have zeal to reach them and zeal to share the gospel with them. And it was a good point that you brought up, Peter, like to share the gospel. Cause it, it is true. Like, um, anytime, like obviously I talk to Mormons, I do, I do show them the contradictions, but I show them like, okay, this is your gospel, but this is the real gospel. That's that, you know, Jesus taught and the apostles taught. Because a lot of people, they think that, you know, the, the, they hear of apologetic classes, they hear of, you know, being an apologist or an evangelist, and they think that they need to have all of this knowledge of all these different world religions. Like, I need to know a bunch about Catholics, I need to know a bunch about Mormons, I need to know a bunch about Jehovah's Witnesses and Islam to, to witness to all these different people. Like, how am I supposed to witness to to all these different worldviews if I don't know all about these different worldviews? And, you know, then you read, you know, read Peter, it says, give a defense for the hope that isn't you. Give it, give a defense for your hope. Don't worry about. Um, you know, although there is wisdom in studying, like we've been talking about their religion, there's wisdom in knowing what they believe, so you can have those talking points. But when you, when it comes down to it, is you know, know what you believe, because there's nothing more embarrassing. If you don't know what they believe, then it's fine. It's like you could be talking to a Mormon and be like, okay, I, I've heard you believe this, and they're gonna be like, well, that's not what we believe. Like, okay, like. It's not a huge deal because you're not a Mormon anyways. You just, like, you're not expected to know or get everything right, right? But if you're claiming to be a Christian and they're asking you about your own faith and you're like, I don't know, like, and then that that's where it's like, okay, well, how can you talk to people about my, about my religion and say your religion is right when you don't even know your own religion, right? You know, that's why there is wisdom in studying other religions, even though I said it's not, you know, completely essential but it i i think i'm not saying don't do it i think you should do it you know you reverse that you know that that's why we we talk to mormons because 
they don't even know what they believe, right? Like it would be embarrassing for us to not know what we believe, but that's why you know it, it, there is wisdom in, in bringing these points up because Mormons don't even know their own. Like they don't know all this stuff that we talked about is in their history. Yeah, that's that's very true because most of the Mormons I talk to, I uh, and I don't mean this in a mean way. I seem to know more about their theology than they do. You know, and uh, I listen to people like James White and uh, Jeff Durbin who talk about that what the Mormons used to know back in the 80s and the 90s was so much more than it is now that they're just not being taught. And I think it is wise to at least have a few key points in, in knowing what they believe. No, and, it is. I mean, because, you know, Paul, he he uh, he knew a bit about, you know, like when he went to Mars Hill, he kind of used what they knew about their unknown God and said, hey, speaking of your unknown God, let me quoted, introduce you <laughs> to the unknown God. And he kind of used what they believed to try to steer them in the right direction and be like, okay, no, no, that's not true. This is true. So obviously, yes, do study other religions. But, um, yeah. Keep it centered on the gospel. All right. Well, I think we are going to wrap up now. And it's, it's been a pleasure doing this with you, Pete. Stay tuned and wait for what our next podcast will be. We'll be announcing what it will be soon. Uh, give us some feedback and share this with people. Uh, we are skeptics.